Leaving your full-time job behind and starting your own business based on your own brand is a somewhat scary proposition. And yet, this is exactly what Donnie Walls, a prolific iOS developer and technology teacher, is doing. In this episode, I sat down with him to talk more about his work, what was his thinking in going solo, and what one needs to learn quickly in an ever-changing technology space. Enjoy the show. Donnie Walls, welcome to Reward Item. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hi. Absolutely. So, uh, Donnie, I discovered your work through Twitter. Uh, I know you're a prolific iOS developer, but instead of me doing the introduction, tell us more about what you're building. What are you doing these days? Yeah. So, so my name is, is Donnie, Donnie Walls, uh, an iOS developer. Um, I've been doing that for, for a while now, uh, for the past, what is it, almost one and a half-ish years been doing this on my own as a freelancer working for clients working on my blog working on books all that kind of stuff basically any way i can help people become better developers that's what i'm up to these days as well as some some client work to, to help people make their apps better use latest technology and all that kind of stuff so that's that's me currently helping people become better developers i like that yeah so for iOS development specifically, what got you interested in this domain? It seems like it's a there's just so much to do, and especially with the sprawl of like iPad OS, Mac OS development is again kind of getting through this bit of a renaissance, I guess. Uh, why iOS? Yeah, so, so I guess I was somewhat intrigued when the first iPhone came out. I was I must have been like what nineteen ish years old, but I, I couldn't even afford one at that point myself, so. I didn't have an iPhone for a very long time, and I did web development at that point. But I always looked at iPhones like, hmm, it would be kind of cool to be able to make apps for that because it's, you know, it looks cool. It's 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 different from web. Um, these were the days where web development was quite a big mess. Like you couldn't get anything done without jQuery. Um, we were just seeing like some front end frameworks pop up that were not jQuery based, but they all required something like jQuery. And then to have this this platform where there's one screen size, one, maybe two models of devices to develop for. And it also looked pretty and responsive and all these cool animations. I was like, I want to I want to get in on that. And so at some point, a uh, startup that I worked for, they needed an app. And I was like, well, I would be interested in learning how to do that. And they're like, well, we kind of need it fast. So we'll, we'll hire a freelancer. Uh, but we quickly agreed that the freelancer would sooner rather than later take me under his wing and teach me what he was doing so that, you know, a couple months in, I could kind of take over the project once once we had like a prototype and everything. And that's exactly what happened. Like after a couple of months, I started helping him. And then a few months later, I took over the app and the rest is history. What I find interesting about your statement with web development is a mess, because I think it still is a mess. I think with the choices <laughs> of the different frameworks and capabilities, there's quite a bit of stuff that adds a lot of uncertainty for somebody jumping into the field. Were oh, there totally, yeah. any yeah, like reservations on your side as you were kind of going down the path of iOS? Like, is this really the future? Because if you remember, like when the iPhone came out, there were some articles that's like, yeah, the iPhone is going to die within like a year. Like, this is a fad. This is something. And you're jumping in and basically learning a developer ecosystem and kind of investing your, I don't want to say invest your future because I'm sure there's more to it, but kind of betting on the fact that that platform will succeed. Yeah, yeah, and that that is that's a tricky question. Beginners ask me all the time, like, eh, hasn't iOS or Swift or whatever had its best days? Isn't it like going away? 
in favor of progressive web apps or cross-platform uh, stuff. And it kind of feels like the iPhone isn't going to go anywhere, at least not suddenly, right? If it's going to go anywhere, uh, it's going to take years and years for that to become obsolete. And yeah, for me, it, it just makes sense to work on iPhone right now. Um, and, you know, just go where the future goes. I, I still occasionally dabble in, in the depths of, of JavaScript and, you know, do a little bit of web development when I uh, when I have to, um, or backend as well. Like I, I kind of touch everything that I need to touch uh, to get the job done, which is always fun, right? It keeps it interesting as well to to occasionally look on the other side, see what everybody's up to. But for now, I, f- I feel pretty safe uh, that you know iPhone isn't going away. If it's going anywhere, it's going to go into like a new kind of device that will be similar to iOS, I'm sure. And there's a lot of companies that still build iOS apps. There's new experiences oh, yeah. coming in every day so it's not necessarily you know a dead field or in any way dying field at that no not at all one of the things that talking to beginners sometimes i hear is you know yes mobile development whether ios or android is fun but the market is so saturated at this point that there's like there's an app for everything does it even make sense for me to try breaking through what's your take on that ah that's always tricky because you always have to to decide you have to pick your battles when you're coming up with a new idea, right? And not everybody has to make their own apps. Like I am terrible at executing my own ideas when it comes to apps. So I work for other people, right? I do have my own stuff that I do, but I don't have like a big successful app or anything. And I probably wouldn't even recommend that people necessarily have to or try to do that. If you feel creative, if you feel like you have ideas and if you feel like you have the ability to execute, by all means, do it. Uh, it's not like the market is saturated to a point where it's impossible to make a difference, uh, especially when you're looking at niche apps, right? If you're you're into like some hobby, there's a really good chance that you might be the only one able even to make an app for your hobby, right? Not not every hobby or niche has good developers in them. And what you also often see, at least that's kind of my experience, is that a lot of good, even initially smaller indie apps, for example, They'll grow and grow and grow, get more features, become subscription-based, all that stuff. And people are looking for something smaller that maybe does only one of the two things that, or one or two things of the many uh, that the bigger app does. And maybe you could fill that gap and be like, you know what, my calendar doesn't do all this stuff, but it, it does a few things and it does them really well. If you do that, if you're able to do that, I think there's still a place for you in the App Store, for sure. The Apple ecosystem seems to be also evolving at a very, very... I want to say fast pace, like every year, every WWDC, you look at the announcements, you look at the surface of the APIs that is just being extended and extended and extended. So it's moving so fast. How do you keep up with all of the stuff that's just being released and actually apply that stuff? Yeah, that's that's really tricky, right? It's especially because of this, this once a year drop that they drop so much on you where it's just like, where do I even begin? Um, and then there's also the problem that you can't even use it right away often. Right? A lot of existing apps will have maybe one or two iOS versions before what Apple just announced is their minimum target. So you have to wait until that what they just announced becomes your minimum target. So there's also that issue. Um, so for me, it's because it's kind of my job to, to be up to date with that is that I can just go ahead and do it and experiment in, in sample apps and in toy apps to see what things do and what I can do with them. Uh, for other people, it can be a lot trickier to keep up with the new stuff because it's it's so hard to to convince your 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 managers to 
to dig into something and are going to be like, oh, so we can use that? You're like, no, no, it's not going to be usable for another two years, but I want to be up to date. They're going to be like, oh, why? You're not even going to be here in two years, probably. So why would we allow you to do this? Um, so, so that's really tricky. I, I think you have to have a certain curiosity uh, outside of work to, to consume this content. I feel like if Apple were to, to drop it more gradual, it would be a lot easier to feel like, oh, this is relevant for me. This is not relevant for me. And, and to decide when you're going to spend like an evening or two. Now it's just in June, you're just going to have to basically spend a lot of evenings initially to figure out what's even relevant and then figure out how and if you want to learn it. And if I'm hearing it right from you, it's all about experimentation. So you actually apply what you see instead of kind of just consuming the content around it, if you will. It kind of depends. Like sometimes I see something where I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And I look at the videos and I read some documentation and it's like, mm, it's interesting, but it's probably not something I would use a lot or not something that I would apply often. And maybe it takes like a lot of setup and a lot of boilerplate and it just looks kind of boring once you start digging into like how it's actually implemented. You're just like, mm, maybe I'm going to skip on this one, right? But other times it, it, it fits well with some of the content I might have already published. And it's just like, okay, let's just experiment with this, see if, if any of my existing content needs to be updated, augmented, or if there's new content to be produced to link into what I already have. Does it get easier with time? Uh, Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It, some things get easier, but other things don't, right? Like it's it's easier to know your limits. That's one thing that, that, that that's true for me. It's easier to know when I'm out of my depth and, and when it might be better to just abandon something. Uh, but also with, with more knowledge, you less often have to abandon something. So you're often finding yourself in these rabbit holes where you're just like, oh, I know like for 80%, I know what, what this is or what this does. Let's dig in deeper. Let's see what where the rabbit hole goes. So. It can be a huge time sink that way. So it doesn't get easier in some ways, yes. In other ways, it, it only gets harder. For all the things that we just talked about, you need to be able to have a, a good degree of kind of self-awareness of what your skill gaps are, what you understand, what you don't understand. What helped you become a successful developer? Like, were there any tricks in learning the technologies that you learn and kind of being good at it? So I, I think one of the things that I did early on is is kind of learn a platform and then learn another platform, another one, another one. Like I started out with, with ActionScript 3 and Flash, which which some of your listeners might have never heard of. Um, but that was super old. It was basically like making little apps for the browser, uh, like interactive animations and all that stuff. It's pretty cool, actually. Uh, but then at some point, Steve Jobs decided that Flash would never be on the iPad. And everybody knew at that point, if it's not going to be on the iPad, it's not going to happen at all. It was also riddled with security issues and all that stuff. So um, plenty of reasons to abandon that. And then I went into PHP, uh, which was fun. But at some point, it was like, hmm, maybe I want to do front end a little bit. So into JavaScript, then uh, into iOS, then into Python a little bit. Uh, that was sort of interleaved with, with doing iOS. So I think seeing a lot of different things and, and, and uh, talking to a lot of different people uh, and often learning new programming languages, that really helps uh, helps you learn how to learn uh, and it really boosts your confidence as well when, when it's like oh I, i've never done this before but it looks like something i've seen before in this language or that language and it helps you sort of figure out what to do in terms of jumping from platform to platform going from you know php to ios that seems like a that, that seems like a pretty big leap there there's going to be it a is. lot of new learning happening <laughs> 
Yeah, so, so so from PHP, I went into JavaScript, right? So I, I did a lot of, and also HTML, CSS, and all that, which I always kind of did on the side, but I didn't do it professionally until I was like, okay, let's, uh, basically in a job, I was doing PHP, and I was like, okay, let's help the front-end people build uh, something nice in the in, in the website, and also sometimes, you know, build some custom components for the CMS that we had. Uh, so from there, it was not as big a leap. The biggest difference for me was it was the first time or the second time, I guess, because I also had ActionScript uh, that I did like a compiled kind of thing. And then ActionScript was like, it was, it's, it's also compiled, but it was never as big as iOS. Like iOS was, was actually pretty huge with Xcode and the entire IDE and all that. So that took a lot of getting used to like, okay, so now I have this very restricted kind of environment where I can do a lot of things. It's not that restricted in the end, but it did feel very restricted at the time because I was I was used to just doing whatever I wanted in uh, in the web browser. Uh, so that that was a big leap, yeah. Somebody probably thinks like, what if I'm doing web development now and I want to jump into mobile development? From your experience, what are some of the considerations they might not know about or maybe they need to prepare as they make that kind of shift that you've done going from web mm-hmm. dev to mobile and specifically iOS in this context. Yeah, so, so one thing that I had to get used to a lot, uh, I, I didn't get serious about iOS until Swift was already around, uh, which is a very, very strictly typed language. So in JavaScript, I could be like, oh, I'll just take this parameter in a function and it might be a string, it might be a number or whatever. Uh, it can be whatever it, it needs to be. And I even had like some some functions, I think, that were like super smart, like, oh, if you give it a string, it'll do this. And if you give it a number, it'll do this other thing, which is, just not possible in Swift. Well, you can make it work, right? You can sort of tell Swift like, oh, this can be anything, or that can be anything, or this could be anything. Uh, but that's really counterproductive, and that's going to really come back to bite you. So really, if I were to give somebody a tip, like if you're going to go from web to, to to iOS, really embrace like the type system that Swift has for you. It really helps you prevent bugs altogether. It does sometimes feel like you're doing a lot of work for the sake of doing the work, like all the ceremony that you won't need to do in JavaScript. But that's fine. And I think maybe modern web devs would not even be as bothered as I was all these years ago, because I think TypeScript is like a big thing now that a lot of web devs would do, which has uh, type checking. It's not as strict as Swift, I think not, but it, it does have like type checking. So maybe it's not that big a leap these days. TypeScript, the the Swift for web developers. I guess, yeah. For, again, the work that you're doing, one of the things that stood out to me about uh, kind of the process that you're applying to is that you're combining the ability to kind of do technical work and also teach mm-hmm. others how to do said technical work. Why yeah. is that? Well, why is that important to you? I think because it's it's so hard to find good uh, good teachers. At least it was for, for me back, back then. It was a lot of people that were really smart or really good at something. They were not necessarily really good at explaining things or they would explain things in a very difficult way. And then I realized that I I might not be as smart as some of these people, but I I am pretty decent at once I understand something, I'm pretty decent at like explaining this to other people. And I felt like you can really really help people grow and really help people achieve something really cool um, by explaining how to do certain things. And it's, it's just a lot of fun to see somebody, especially if you have like good contact with someone for like three to six months. And you just see them week after week get better at certain things and certain concepts just certain at certain moments just clicking in their brain where it's just like, see, now now you've leveled up, right? This is one of those moments where there's this new concept that you understand now and you'll realize soon that there's this whole new world to explore 
uh, that suddenly makes sense just because you understand this one tiny thing. If I can contribute to that one tiny thing being understood, that's really cool to me at least. Oh, absolutely. And what's interesting to me too is the kind of skills that are required to be a good teacher are quite different from the skills that require you to be a good, let's say, developer. Because I know a lot of good developers, but they would be terrible teachers because, you know, there's this kind of conceptual barrier talking sometimes to folks where it's like, yeah, I understand this topic. This is easy, right? (laughs) And then it becomes that meme about like how to draw an owl. And then you like draw two circles and then draw the rest of the owl. What helps you? be better at kind of the the teaching aspect knowing that you have kind of the technical acumen uh it's it's one of the things is uh having been told literally what you just said oh but this is easy and to me it's just like no that nothing about what you just said like the past five minutes were all words that i've never heard before nothing about it is easy but sort of having had that experience a couple times uh i really do avoid you know saying Whenever I'm explaining something, I really do avoid saying, like, oh, this is easier. Oh, this is very simple. Uh, I, I do try and emphasize like that this sort of makes sense because we have these other things that we talked about. So if we reason about that, then it makes sense that we end up here. But that's usually sort of blanketed with like this whole explanation that explains my train of thought on why does A make sense if we just said B? Why is it not D or whatever? Um, so so being mindful of that, I think, is is really useful uh to becoming better at you know writing teaching uh, helping people just be aware that not everybody is is where you are even though sometimes where you are might feel like it's simple uh for me it sometimes makes sense for me to to, to tell myself it took me 16 years to get here there's no way that a person with one year is going to know everything that i know it's when you encounter like blog posts that say this is easy this is simple just do this it's like it's never yeah. just do this yeah that always makes me kind of go like mm. Is it really just that? <laughs> right. And especially since a lot of folks just do not have the exact same mental model that mm-hmm. you, the writer, have. For sure. Yeah. And that's one of the trickiest things that I had to figure out and uh, that I sometimes miss missed when, when other people explain things to me is that you can be stuck in your own mental model of something really badly, right? If you, and to you, a metaphor might make perfect sense, which is like, how how could a different metaphor be better? This is the best metaphor in the world. Like this is the most accurate way to to describe this. And to somebody else, it's just like it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. And to be able to 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 notice that, because a lot of times people don't realize that it's not their capability to understand something that's in the way. It's it's the metaphor that I use as a teacher that's getting in the way. Right? It's never the fault of the student that they can't understand the teacher, at least in my opinion. Um, so, so teaching yourself how to sort of feel that out and to notice that and to be like, oh, you require a slightly different metaphor and to to find something that works for them. Sometimes it could be like just asking them, like, what's your hobby? And maybe you can apply it to their hobby or, or you know, like, have you moved house a lot or do you own a car or that kind of stuff? Like that can really help somebody, uh, you know, find a metaphor that makes sense. Uh, so, so you have to have multiple mental models of certain things if you really want to teach well, I think that seems like it would require a good degree of self-awareness and the ability to reflect on your own, right? Because you kind of have to take a step back and analyze and see, like, is this is my thinking correct in this domain about how other people would think about this? For sure, yeah. So especially because, like, you you develop your own model, so it's really easy to to forget 
that you are probably not the norm. Just the fact that you are, are teaching other people shows that you're not the norm. So yeah, you have to really question those kind of things. In your work, you took teaching to kind of the next level in the sense that you actually decided to leave work with existing kind of established companies and say, I'm going to do this more or less full time, right? Mm -hmm. What was the transition like? What made you kind of decide that, you know what, I can do this by myself? <laughs> uh, that, that took a really long time. I think I, I had been thinking about doing something off my own for a really long time. I think that must have been like 2018-ish where I basically said like, Sooner or uh, sooner rather than later, I'm going to quit my job and do something of my own. And of course, that takes forever to sort of, you know, take the step. So so I didn't do that for a long time. Then I wrote a book in 2020-ish. Um, I was like, oh, this is a cool topic that that I can help people understand because it's it's really hard to find good content that does not focus on the, the tiniest details with and in simple terms and all that stuff. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. And then the book did kind of well, and I was like, okay, let's try another one, another one of these topics where there's a lot of opinions and a lot of people overcomplicating things. Uh, let's see how that goes. And that went well as well. And at some point, I was like, hmm, okay, if I quit my job now and there's no work out there for me and the books keep selling for at least a couple more months, I won't go hungry, right? And, and that for me was a moment where I was like, hmm, if there ever was a time to, to jump in and and see how far I get on my own. Now's it, right? How how many people are able to to quit their job to to start freelancing and to start you know building their own their own business essentially with a, a stream of income that's steady enough to support them? Like not in any like big way, but enough to not go hungry. Like that is that's huge. And I felt like if I wouldn't take that opportunity back then, it was never going to happen. Basically, for that specific transition. Were there any kind of safeguards that you kind of established for yourself that if, you know, things don't work out, I can always go back. I can always apply for a different job. That seems like a very risky move. The, the way I'm thinking about it is like, you know, <laughs> quitting your job is not an easy decision. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I actually talked to, to, to somebody and they said, well, what is so scary about this? I said, well, failing. And they're like, okay, so you fail. Then what? Well, I apply for another job. They're like, okay. And are there jobs out there for you? I was like, yeah, there are. So they're like, so what is the worst case really? I was like, yeah, failing, be losing a bunch of money. They're like, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just some money for potentially doing something that you've been dreaming of for a very long time, right? So it's definitely worth giving this three to six months, see where you end up. Uh, and if you don't succeed, there's always jobs out there. And to me, that was like, okay, it's like, but it's still scary. And then they said, it's never going to stop being scary until you do it. I was like, okay, I guess I have to do it. And I did it. And it, it was scary until like two months in. I was like, okay, this is actually happening. It's working out okay. So yeah, this is good. Taking the leap actually was worth it. For sure. Yeah, for me, it, it absolutely was. And uh, and I actually had, had a friend going through something similar at the same time. He's like, no, no, I can't do this right now. And like a year later, he's like, I, I kind of have to, like, I don't like my job. He went for a new job. He didn't like it much. He was like, I have to do it. I have to do it. It's like, remember what, what I was told? It's going to be scary until you do it. It's like, it's been scary for a year for you now. Do you really think next year is going to be less scary? He was like, no. And he did it and it's worth it for him too. So really, I feel like that leap is, while scary as heck, 
it's not going to ever stop being scary if you want to make it. Your approach is also very calculated in the sense that you kind of piloted it with something that I don't think a lot of people do, which is write a book. Yeah, which 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 also was like I feel like this whole transition has been like 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 I said like it's 2018 I think or 2017 maybe where I was like I'm eventually gonna do this something off my own I don't know what it is but it's gonna be something and at some point I started blogging and the blog did well right so so that was a prompt for me like oh people like the way I write apparently like some people actually told me in person like oh hey the way you approach your blogs it's 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 complicated topics but I can understand them I was like well that's that's great. So I had some confidence, uh, right, in, in my writing. Um, so so when I did the book, I actually had like this goal in mind, like if I can sell like 100 copies, that would be amazing. And it sold that in like the first week. So I was like, wow. <laughs> 100 copies. It might seem like in nowadays, you know, internet, everything is in thousands and millions, but 100 people try to pack up a room with 100 people. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Willing to spend money on something you made. When there are also ways to learn it for free, right? Like I had to learn this without my book. So there are ways to learn this without my book, but apparently people, you know, like my approach enough to to buy it. And then later, like a few weeks later, to actually people recommend it online. Like, oh, if you want to learn combined, pick up Tony's book. It's like, wow, that's that's really cool. Nothing like actual external validation to say that like what you built is super valuable. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like just having a bunch of people buy it, I was like, yeah, there's probably like some people maybe sympathy buying it, right? Like, oh, they like my website. They're like, oh, I'll spend like a couple dollars on you for your book just as a thank you for the blog. Uh, but then to see people recommend it as an actual resource, that was just like mind blowing. Were there some unexpected lessons learned throughout this journey of uh, kind of self-employment and pushing your own journey forward? Oh, wow, I, I struggle to come up with any that I've like experienced like super consciously. I had one moment in the beginning. I remember that one really well. It's like I had a workshop and uh, I, my workshops are basically always like there's there's uh, 15 people that can join for the, the base prize and then for every extra seed you have to pay. Uh, and they suddenly had two extra people in the workshop and I did the workshop and I hadn't even noticed until the end. And I was like, oh, it's fine. Uh, and then I realized, no, wait, actually, this is this is my, my business now. <laughs> uh, I can't just do this. Like I don't. I don't have to do them any favors uh, because, right, we, we had a contract. We had the agreement of, of, of the price and everything. And uh, so, yeah, I, I did end up like augmenting the invoice with those seats. And that felt very weird. And I've, that did feel like a bit of a lesson where it was like, okay, you have to take this seriously. You can't give out freebies all the time. So, yeah, that was also in that sense unexpected where it was like, okay, I have to think about this now. Like, who do I give stuff for free and who do I not give stuff for free? So basically knowing your value and knowing that you kind of have to stand up for yourself when you're driving a business. Because at the end of the day, a business is a business. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you're not like you can do somebody a favor, like if you have a good relationship with them. But I don't feel like you're going to build a good relationship on favors in the beginning. Uh, that just doesn't. You know, when you think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. As we talk about this journey to kind of basically being a self-employed freelance developer, one thing that makes me pause myself is, well, what about mentorship, right? Because when you work at a big company, usually you have people that can help you unlock different situations, people that you can brainstorm around like, hey, I'm not sure how to deal with this particular like interpersonal issue. How do you seek out mentorship when you're effectively by yourself? Right, that, that's that's tricky. Like, um, I have some friends that I talk to regularly who either also are freelance or who I just simply look up to in terms of how they handle themselves and how they handle their work. Um, but at the same time, 
I don't think I've ever learned as much from people as I've learned from some of my clients, actually. Uh, like one client brought me in to do to deal with like a bunch of Swift UI stuff, which is where I was able to help them. But they had a lot of stuff that I've never seen before. And uh, I guess as a freelancer, you don't have to know everything, right? It's not like you're some magical unicorn that somehow knows everything. It's just you're good at a couple things and uh, you're brought in to, to help with that. But you're still allowed to ask questions, right? It's not like suddenly you're not allowed to ask your clients or your, you know, your clients employees for, for help on certain things or that kind of stuff. So I found that the, the mentor part or like the working together part and, and like getting unstuck with, with your coworkers, they're not your coworkers anymore, but they can still help you, you know, get unstuck if, if needed. Um, and just finding like fellow freelancers or, or peers, that's also very helpful. Also, sometimes we just ask them, like, how do you, how would you draft this contract or that kind of stuff? Because that's suddenly stuff that you have to deal with as well. So you effectively need to figure out what the community is of people that kind of do what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. But then also not necessarily just listen to everything they have to say, right? I know some people who, who are successful at what they do, but their views or their kinds of jobs just don't align with what I want to be doing. So that's also, yeah, it's also something to keep in mind. And also there's a good degree of survivorship bias, right? That's something that just worked for somebody doesn't mean it's going to work exactly the same way for you because circumstances yeah. are different. The assumptions are different. The environment is different. Absolutely. Yeah. You produce so much in terms of working as a freelance developer, uh, providing it on your blog, your books. How do you balance all of this and not burn out? Because to me, on a surface level, this seems like given that the scope of work is so big and you kind of constantly have to keep the wheels rolling, uh, that would take a lot of mental energy. It, it does. And I, uh, I have actually had to hit pause on like some things that I do enjoy doing and I still occasionally do. Like I used to blog every week and at some point I just realized like, yeah, I just I can't I can't carve out time every single week. I could carve out the time, but it's like you also have to come up with a topic. It has to be good. Uh, you don't want to just phone it in uh, three three out of four times. You, if you're going to do that, you might as well just only focus on one good blog every four weeks and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's really learning to to prioritize things. And one thing I also try to do as as good as I can, and I don't always succeed. I would say I succeed like four out of five days every week, which I think is pretty good. Is to just stop working at like five thirty six ish, and I just head downstairs, head to my wife and my kid, and just kind of hang out with them. You know, leave my laptop upstairs in the office. Uh, basically, don't even check my phone if like somebody slacks me, work-related stuff. Just setting that boundary, it, it does make you feel sometimes like, oh, I could be actually productive tonight. When in reality, I, for me at least, I've, I've never been actually productive if I sat down for four hours after already having spent eight hours working. Uh, it, it just doesn't work. And also one thing I, I sometimes do is like if in the morning I just feel like, I feel like just I have to keep kicking myself in the butt to like do something, get something to done. I sometimes just say like, hey, you know what? Let's just not work this morning. Let's just skip that. And, you know, you might lose some billable hours, but in the end, you weren't going to be productive anyway. So just suck it up. Just give yourself that break. Uh, and that really helps. So effectively being, uh, I want to say, intentional about kind of, Caring for your mental space, caring for your kind of where you are and kind of controlling yeah. your energy. Absolutely. And, and use, the, the, use the fact that as a freelance or a self-employed person, you're allowed to just say like, hey, you know what? Today is not the day. I'm not working. Done. Like your client 
technically can't tell you you're not allowed to do that. Uh, of course, if you do that all the time, then your client probably won't enjoy working with you anymore. Totally. Uh, right. But if, if you balance that and if, if you are productive, then in the end, your client doesn't really care if you did your work between nine and 12 in the morning or one and three in the afternoon. The work got done. That's all that matters. Yeah. And you mentioned phoning it in. Uh, earlier about how you know you could technically just sit down and just churn out content like every day but the quality is not going to be there and to me that kind of stood out as a very important aspect of the work too which is yeah. you want to produce something that is high quality and not just for the sake of oh i just put it out into the void and it's there and whatever like you know i just needed to get my yeah. check mark, the check mark done for the day Exactly. Like you want to look at it in the end and be proud of it, right? Like the the best feeling in the world for me is when when I ha write something and just a couple of days after, uh, I see a, a question on Twitter or Slack or whatever, and just some random person is like, "Oh, how do I deal with this?" And he's like, "Oh, oh, I just wrote a post on that, and it's actually quite good." Uh, I I enjoy that so much more than saying, "Oh, I probably have something on the blog about that." Like whatever, I don't even know what's in it. You, you can do that, but yeah, I feel like that would burn me out way quicker uh, than. Than how I'm doing it right now. Craft is very important. Uh, I love that. That's a very, very, very good aspiration for everyone to have is focus on the quality, not just the output. Sure. For yeah. somebody that listens to this and thinks, you know what? I actually want to do exactly what Donnie's doing. What would be your advice to somebody that wants to follow your trajectory? So don't don't look at where I am right now. Don't make that your immediate goal because it's going to be very, very forced, right? So, so one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of my success is due to my following. Right? And the reason I have a lot of following is because I've spent a lot of time and effort into building uh, an audience on Twitter and that kind of stuff, right? I didn't just randomly get 10,000 followers, uh, you know, as, as a sort of starting point and took it from there. I started out with, I think the first blogs I wrote was like at 200 followers or something. So nobody saw them, but I just kept doing it right every week. And I had something to say, and I was proud of what I was doing. And slowly but surely, I saw the numbers go up. I saw people actually asking me like, oh, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Right. So just sort of doing that. And then also one thing I've always done is genuinely want to help people. Right. That's That's been a big thing for me as well. Like I don't just produce content and then leave. Like I've been active in the, this this Slack group for iOS developers for, I think ever since I started doing iOS, I signed up there and I started helping people who are learning alongside me. And still sometimes I pop in there for a couple hours and I will help a few people because I want to. Um, and, and sort of doing that, I feel has built this this audience, has built this, um, this, this want for like people sometimes want me to succeed it feels like because they, they see the work that i've been putting in and, and i feel like those people become fewer and fewer as you grow in size right initially it's like all your 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 followers and everything want you to succeed and then as your numbers grow you get a lot of less lower quality uh or, or lower engagement follows i i guess um so if, if you want to get where I'm right now is, is put in the work, be patient, right? Sort of keep going, be consistent, be be intentional uh, and, and be genuine, right? Sort of really, you really have to have this this passion of, of helping people and, and doing cool stuff uh, to get there. Because if you just want to do it in like six months, it's, it's going to be extremely exhausting, I think. And I'm, and I'm not even sure you would have the same level of, of, of success. M maybe some people could, I don't know, but I, I could never do it that way. It's a 10-year-long overnight success, uh, I'd put For it this sure, way. Yeah. <laughs> Almost quite literally, yeah. Uh, because people assume, and you know, 
following is very important. Audience is very important. And uh, it seems like you're focusing on the optimizing for kind of the work first and audience will come. So if you do good work, yeah, everything else will kind of stem from that work. Yeah, for sure. Like, and also don't, uh, when you have good work, people will come, but also don't expect that people will come after you did work for like a month, right? It's, it's also about, you have to get out there and talk to people but not necessarily make the conversation about the fact that you have work, right? That's something that I see a lot of people do is, is when they, they start their blog or they, they write their first book or whatever, they pick conversations where they can drop the fact that, oh, I have a blog, oh, I have a book, oh, I wrote about this, oh, I wrote about that, oh, I have something for this. That gets, like once people start noticing that that's how you interact with them, it, it starts to feel very forced right and if if every once in a while you just recommend somebody else's book or don't even talk about books or or recommendations or anything at all just you know see if you can help them solve a problem they're having or just ask them how their day's going uh that can really help you you know get that uh following in and and grow folks and especially developers can sniff out self-promotion fairly fairly quickly oh yeah yeah yeah, you don't want to be that person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been in some Slack communities where you go into like all you all you see people is like, I wrote this blog post about this thing. It's like nobody asked for this. Exactly. Yeah. But but then when you're actually out there genuinely helping a person, like I've had a few occasions in, in our iOS developer Slack where I was having a conversation with someone and they were asking a ton of questions. I was like, This is actually a really interesting topic for a blog post. Do you mind if I write about it? They're like, Oh no, I'm happy to. Right. And then sort of posting that later, that that person actually if if you help them in a nice way you write your post in a nice way they actually feel like they contributed to your blog and they feel very proud of that and 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 that's really cool because they are now a supporter right and it's all very genuine and natural and and all that uh, so that they really feel like oh wow i really helped him find a, a cool post and, and it that's takes fun. work and like you said patience to get there to, oh, yeah. to that point it's uh i i love this i love the 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 context of this conversation that hard work does pay off but it takes time to get there Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it really does take time. Like for every overnight success, like you said, there's like ten years of hard work that's been put in before it sort of blew up and uh, got somewhere. Thank you so much for for chatting with me about this. This has been very insightful. Now, for folks that want to learn more about you, and um, you know, there's a lot of topics I'm sure we haven't covered in this show that they probably will be like, hey, I'm sure this guy has a Twitter. Where can they go mm-hmm. and find you online and follow you? So, so the, the the best place to follow. Uh, me is, is twitter.com slash Donny Walls. Um, I'm sure you'll put something in the show notes uh, that people can click on to make that easy. I also have a website, donnywalls.com, and that's where my blog is. That's where I have links to my books and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Just just look up my name there and you'll find me. Um, and that's really the places right where you would best follow me. If you want to reach out, just, just shoot me a DM or a mention on Twitter. I, I try to be very good about responding to people even if I don't know them. So... That's your best bet. And that's how we ended up on this podcast. Yes. Donnie, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's It's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, thanks again. 